0: Do you have a child who is hands-on, flexible, and easygoing, but also sometimes struggles with risky decisions or getting easily distracted? Then you might resonate with today's topic. Today we're talking about the cognitive function in Myers-Briggs called extroverted sensing, which I call responsive sensing, and how it shows up in kids. Hi, I'm Sandra, and I'm Em, and this is Family Personalities, the podcast that helps you create a more peaceful and compassionate family dynamic using personality type. Do you know anyone just kind of, you know, we talked about extroverted sensing in parents last time, but do you think you know any kiddos who use this function? I don't know,
1: because I feel like kids
0: are so... Kids are so like this anyway. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of the ways that you describe... Responsive sensing in kids just sounds like a kid. Like, you are so fun and in the moment and like, you know, maybe don't always think things through and whatnot. Yeah. That just sounds like a kid. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. In my life, I actually know a lot of kids of this type. I have my stepdaughter who we'll have on the podcast next. She's 15 and she has ESTP preferences. And then my daughter who lives at home, Ripley, has ISFP preferences. So this would be her second function, not her first. And then just like various friends of the kids. So I'm like, I'm pretty sure like I don't you know, I've never sat down and done a typing session with them. But I've had enough interaction that I've started to form a guess as to what their type might be. And I think Riker has a couple of friends who I think may have ESTP preferences. Like just for listeners, like what would be
1: just kind of like top quality that you would say like, that's it like. Is there anything defining or is it just like a combination of factors?
0: No, I would say it's more a combination of factors. Like there's no one defining thing that you can do for any of the functions. But there's just kind of this like this combination of just like you can just kind of see them like shifting with whatever's going on now and not getting too hung up on any one thing. And there isn't the same level of curiosity and analysis that you see in kids with intuition preferences. And when it's a lead function, there's also just a level of like energy and needing to be like entertained all the time. Like kids who have FOMO,
1: like the fear of missing out, like they always like want to be at the thing. I think
0: it can come out that way in some cases, but I I wouldn't say in all cases, because I think a lot of times it can come out more as like a just chill vibe. Ah, okay. And so there isn't the need to go be in involved with everything, but they can just kind of like chill vibe along with. Oh, we're doing this day, great. Kind of okay,
1: thing. so there's a flexibility.
0: Yeah. So that's why I'm so confused because I've just never experienced it. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, this is not this is not June's uh, function. This is not Riker's function. No. Yeah. <laughs> so for the listeners, June M's daughter has uh, probably ISFJ preferences. She's not flexible like well but she also does not
1: no she i don't want to say she's not flexible that's just she's just she likes she's just very regimented like um at art camp they would say like she would could stay at like one station for 45 minutes and she's mm-hmm. working on her project yeah like, and does not want to be deterred and like it's very mm-hmm. frustrated if you're like we're going on to this she would be like but i have this other thing yeah yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah, so yeah, that like very, very judging, just being like chill. I'm like, tell me more about that. Yeah, yeah. So we are talking about the extroverted sensing function in Myers Briggs, which is nicknamed, which I nickname, responsive sensing. How it shows up in kids, and then what they need from you based on it. And this is the dominant or the driver function for ESTPs and ESFPs. And it's the co-pilot or the second function for ISTPs and ISFPs. And if you're wondering what a cognitive function even is, then you need to go back and listen to episode 39, (laughs) Uh, M's doing the go back signal. I think probably every episode I have another episode that you should go back and listen to. And that's where we did kind of our intro to cognitive functions because that is the basis of Myers Briggs that a lot of people don't know even exists. So if you're new to Myers Briggs, if you're new to cognitive functions at all, go back and listen to that episode, episode 39. And then if you want to check out this function and what it looks like in parents, that might be a good starter point. Even if you aren't a parent or don't know a parent with this function, but you have a kid with this function, I still think it's a good idea to start with that episode. That was last episode. No, it was not last episode. That was episode 57, a couple episodes ago, because we talk so much about what that, f- the basics of that function that I think it's good to listen to. And you can find all the basics about Myers Briggs type or a little bit about Enneagram too, at familypersonalities.com slash basics. I'm also, I am working on an online course right now to help you find your child's Myers-Briggs type. So if that is something that you need or interested in, you can join the newsletter to be notified when that's available. And you can just head to familypersonalities.com to get on the newsletter. So yeah, responsive sensing. It's an extroverted function. So remember, that means it's dealing with the outer world. So people have this in their lead spot and that driver spot are, you know, prefer to be oriented to their outer world overall. If you have it, if our kids have it in the second spot in the co-pilot spot, then it's only when they're coming out to their outer world that they're using this function. It's not going to be some of the things that we talk about today aren't going to seem as resonant because your child as an introvert overall is not necessarily going to be leaning it going to be want to be orienting themselves to their outer world the majority of the time. And then it's a perceiving function, which just means it deals with how we take in information from the world. And so kind of the definition that I use for responsive sensing is that they take in information by attuning to the present moment, taking in information with one's five senses in order to respond with immediate practical action. So when we talked about this in adults, we kind of talked about the four main aspects, which are that they're very alert to sensory details. They're very in the moment. They are quick to act and they like to keep things simple and practical. And so we kind of talked about, remember we talked about that a lot of times you'll find people who use this function either as athletes where they need to be constantly aware of their surroundings and can pivot very quickly. We talked about using it in video games where it's like you have a sensory input coming in and you respond immediately immediately. Uh, chefs or where like you need to be really aware of all the different like tastes and and how they mix together. And then you can adjust it to like get the taste just right. You know, that's a very extroverted sensing function. So in
1: kids, would this be kids who are also good at sports? Like
0: does it start at a young age or? I would say, you know, not as a hundred percent rule, but that your, your child's probably more likely to be physically inclined if they lead with this function, especially, you know, I mean, Ripley, she has ISFP preferences. She's not (laughs) like when she was a toddler, like I could see like the physicality and how, you know, she was, uh, I remember one of my friends describing her as scrappy when she was like (laughs) two years old, like she just could get into it and climb everything. The older kids were climbing and whatever. But when it comes to like doing sports She's just not, she's not all that interested. And she also, she doesn't care about competition as like, you know, her first function is introverted feeling and she just wants everyone to feel good. She doesn't want to compete. And then she also gets really self-conscious about not being able to do things well enough. And so she doesn't want to, she doesn't try very hard. She'll just gets really dejected. So she's not, you know, heading into sports. I would say more likely if you're, if it's in that driver's seat, but not always. And there could be physical reasons why sports I mm-hmm. you know, don't really fit with with you if you're this type. Um, but I could describe my stepdaughter who will call we'll call e g because that's what Ripley calls her. She has always just picked up on any sport you give her. She just picks up on it really quickly from when she was very little. i I remember when she was like three or four, four years old, and we handed her baseball bat and and she just like was like, "Okay, this is how we do it. Okay. And she just like starts hitting the ball like almost right away. And as soon as you give her adjustment, she makes it really quickly. Yeah. That's amazing.
1: (laughs) I cannot relate. (laughs) But Eric was a tennis player though, right? Like a really good one.
0: Yeah. Eric played, my husband played professional tennis for a little while. He's not, does not use this function. This is his three-year-old function. So again, any type can be good at athletics and whatever. But, you know, I think he was really good at tennis because it's it's an independent sport, which is more of an INTJ thing. And it's very, it's pretty strategic as well. He, he wasn't a big team sports guy. Totally,
1: mom. So like, so maybe not necessarily like an athlete, but you said like into art as well, just
0: like. Yeah. And that's days. where I see it come out partly in Ripley is that she just picks up on the details of what things look like. And at only six years old, she can already make drawings that I think personally are really good mimic of what she sees in her environment because she picks up on those details. She picks up on the colors and she can replicate them. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. There's a variety of ways in, in which it can manifest, but a sports is just a common one because there's so many people that are into sports that that comes up a lot with this function, but it doesn't have to be sports. Got it.
1: It's just like you're you're taking in details through your senses and processing them and it just manifests in different ways.
0: Yeah, exactly. All right, so let's talk about some of some of what this function looks like in kids. And these, again, these are going to be true most of the time with your kids who have this in their driver's seat. So ESTP and ESFP kids, and just some of the time for ISFP and ISTP. The first bullet point that I have here is they're fun-loving. And I mean, I guess what kid isn't, but you're going to see it even more in these kids. They, much like, like responsive sensing adults, responsive sensing kids really live for the moment. They want to be part of the action. And they're really amped up by things that are exciting, flashy, or fun. And they can tend toward boredom if the pre- present moment is not exciting. So they want to constantly be moving and busy with fun things. And I think I've talked about this example before, or maybe it's something I put in the course. Now I kind of get confused. Or, you know, maybe I talk about it in the other podcasts I go on. So sometimes I get confused about whether I've repeated something on this podcast or not. But my stepdaughter, E.G., when she was younger and she would come visit, It would be like, you know, she we'd we'd have her for very short periods of time when she was younger, like, you know, a week or less. And so we would kind of like pack the whole visit with all these fun things we're going to do. And Eric would take off work and we would have like, we're going to the beach one day. We're going to the zoo the next day. We're going to go visit this family the next day. We're going to, you know, like every day, like had something really big and fun to do. And that's unlike us as introvert homebodies. Also with, you know, I had like a baby and a toddler it was like, you know, didn't try to leave the house and do big, crazy things too often. So it was a lot. And we would go like, we'd be at the beach like all morning, you know, drive there, drive back, you know, get back and put the littles down for a nap. And she here's like nine or 10 year old EG. And she's like, what are we doing now? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, are you kidding me? That was like, that's our plans usually for like the whole month. Yeah. <laughs> Like that was the thing. <laughs> yeah. But she was just like that wasn't enough. Like she wants to know what's next. What are we doing next? You know? And she's, you know, still a little bit like that now that she's older, but she has more I think she has more awareness of, of her impact on other people and of uh, and more expectations, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> more realistic expectations. And um, she's also cool to just kind of like chill and sit around and talk to. Okay. Another thing that you might notice in your kids who use this function is that they're they can be easily distracted. So they might not be great at keeping track of things or following through on tasks. And it's because they're so caught up in the moment of something else or distracted by something more shiny and interesting that they can just, they, it, it comes with their flexibility, right? So like mm-hmm. with all these functions, there's a flip side. The flexibility of, of being able to move from one task to the other easily and go with the flow means that also if they're supposed to be focusing on something, but something else catches their attention, they're going to easily move off of what they're supposed to be focusing on. So
1: like if, let's say you had a kid like this and you're doing like online learning or you you would probably need a pretty quiet space or the quiet space for them if you need them to be focused yeah. on it.
0: Yeah, yeah, I would say more the other that it needs to be like a fun and exciting space, maybe even and I, I think I put this down in the suggestions, but working with a friend. Okay. If they demonstrate that they can still get their stuff done, obviously there needs to be some boundaries. But, you know, having someone to talk to sitting in the middle of the the kitchen while someone's cooking dinner and uh, someone else is working on a puzzle and there's someone to talk to doing their homework there is going to be more tolerable to them than being in like this quiet, empty space with nothing to focus on but the task at hand. Got it. Which I do not resonate with at all.
1: Yeah, it seems counterintuitive, but I totally get what you're saying. To be motivated, there needs to
0: yeah, like meet,
1: meet their, I
0: don't know the right word. Their sensory needs, maybe? Yeah, sensory needs. There we go. Yeah. And then another thing you might notice is that they notice and care about sensory details. So they might be the kid that notices details that other kids don't. Uh, they might be sensitive to how their clothing looks or feels. For Ripley, she's super, we talked about she's super detailed with her art and can replicate the details of things that she sees when she draws. And since she was 18 months old, this girl has cared deeply about how her clothing looks and how it feels. Like I used to just, I'm not great at being stylish. And I also was like, I don't want to raise my kids to be like, you know. Where the girl is always in the frilly and the pink, and the boy you know like let mm-hmm. I want I, you know, let's do gender neutral like she doesn't always have to be like all girly and like with the big bows and everything, and so i I dressed her in clothing that wasn't super you know stereotypically girly the first time that anyone bought her a dress with tulle on the bottom of it, and when <laughs> she was 18 months old. And I put it on her and it just had like, it was blue. It had like blue and white stripes on top. And then the bottom was just this huge puffy, like blue tool poofing out. She and she put that on and she would not take it off. Like she wanted to wear it all day. She wanted to wear it at night in her crib. She wanted to wear it the next day and the next day and the next day. And I was like, okay, I have to buy her more things like this, or she literally will only have one outfit that she can ever wear. And it's been like that ever since. And she cares very, she has very strong opinions about how it looks and what looks right and what doesn't and what can go with it. And she, you know, the... She used to not even agree to wear leggings with dresses because she didn't think that they would go right. It had to be tights. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, she, just, she really notices what other people are wearing and then tries to imitate it. And she has since she was tiny. That's and so she did not get that from me. That is not external pressure from mom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's interesting because June cares about how her clothes
1: feel, but she only wears T-shirts and leggings. That's all she'll wear. Mm. That's it. Yeah. That kind of goes back to being more regimen. She basically... But yeah, no. And she likes fashion, but not to that extent. Not where she's like, I want it or mimicking or noticing. Yeah, no, not at all.
0: Yeah. And with the other type of sensing, there's still, uh, because there's still a big awareness of the sensory stuff, there's going to be with the other type of sensing, a, a sensitivity to clothing often also. I'd be really curious to see a study that links personality type with sensory processing disorder. Oh, that would be fascinating. Because Riker was diagnosed with sensory processing disorder, but there's a couple, like, there's there's the sensory processing disorder where you're oversensitive to everything, and then there's sensory processing disorder where you're undersensitive, and then you can have, like, a mixture of both. Like, some senses are over and some are under, and Riker has, like, almost, like, he, he doesn't notice or feel his clothes almost at all, actually. He prefers to be naked, I think, because then he can feel more mm-hmm. and, like. Feel more, like, I don't know. He just likes to be naked. But then with taste, he's, like, an incredibly picky eater because he's, like, oversensitive to textures and tastes. Mm. Uh, but he has And he has this function in his three-year-old spot. So I don't know. I would be really curious to see if there's any correlation between type, like, are certain types more likely to have sensory processing disorder? Or maybe there's no link at all. I don't know.
1: Yeah, my nephew has sensory processing disorder. And this last trip, I was just in Portland last week. And I really like experienced it when he gets over stimulated, like just uh
0: Condra, I just heard Bill Burr's rant saying how women should be supporting female athletes and not Real Housewives who just yell at each other. That's ridiculous. Real Housewives is a sport. Join us on From the Bleachers, where we analyze the strategy and gameplay that our favorite reality stars use to earn additional seasons of play and social media fame. And if you're lucky... Sandra will pull out her apology play rubric so you can all see what an easy grader I am. I'm sorry, Mandy, but if you think Monica's apology to Heather on Salt Lake City deserved anything over a 2.5, you're delusional. (laughs) (laughs) Whether we're breaking down confrontation play, relishing the bravo, bravo, bravo moments, or awarding a tardy for the party, we are the only place you'll find in-depth analysis of the plays that your favorite housewives are making on our screens from the bleachers of real housewives. Game analysis is available everywhere. Podcasts live.
1: Uh, you know, it just almost just like you can just see physically that he just is too much. It's too much, mm-hmm. you know?
0: Yeah. 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 We have this little, pillow push thing that I do for Riker when I can tell there's overstimulation. He lays on a bed and we put these pillows over him and I just squish him Mm -hmm. he sits underneath the pillows and it just like calms his nervous system that like, uh, I don't know what the word I'm looking for, but it like spreads out the touch to like a greater area of the body Mm -hmm. and somehow it just calms the nervous system. That's one of his favorite. Sometimes he'll even ask for it. He'll be like, can you do pillow squishies? Jackson likes a weighted blanket. Mm, Yeah. Riker used one for a while too. Um, And then- (laughs) so that's with you know younger kids we're talking about but then also with with my older with my stepdaughter eg and she, she i think we talk about this a little bit in the next episode that i had her on but from the moment she got off the plane this last trip she kept using the word aesthetic oh yes the, the
1: kids love that she word she uses
0: it as an adjective yeah Instead of a noun? Yeah. So she'd be it like, wow. oh, that's so aesthetic. Oh, I love this because it's so aesthetic. Yeah. I really like things that are aesthetic, you know, and she's really into the way that that things look and really picks up on that. And she, you know, I mean, this is common amongst teenagers, but maybe more of a pattern with extroverted sensing teenagers that she wants like the name brand and what everyone else is wearing. Like, that's what looks cool. And that's what she has to wear. I think that's... Yeah.
1: I recently experienced the aesthetic thing. Yeah. yeah. The kids love that word. <laughs> like my niece uses it, aesthetic.
0: Really? Mm-hmm.
1: Makes me want to stop using
0: it. <laughs> oh. So then another thing that kids of this type may display is that they can be very flexible. And I can say having one child, my older, who is a lot more rigid, it's really nice to have the second one be a little more flexible. Because they're not as attached to future plans and they're more grounded in the present they a lot more often can just go with the flow. And that doesn't mean always. Like sometimes they have strong opinions on things too, or they're just you know burnt out or worn out or whatever. But they tend to be your more flexible kids, kids who use this function. They're so much easier to travel with. Like Ripley is so much easier to travel with than Riker. EG, whenever she's visited, has just been content to go along with whatever we have planned. Oh, when we were visiting her, gosh, she must have been... Maybe three or four years old. And we were visiting her at her, their place. They lived in New Jersey at the time in their apartment. And her mom was was feeding her like by hand, you know, like putting the spoon in her mouth kind of a thing. And she was feeding her a bowl of heated up frozen broccoli, just like plain frozen broccoli. And she was just like taking, you know, spoonful after spoonful of this broccoli. And I go, EG, what's your favorite kind of food? And she said, broccoli. And I was like, "Wow, really, broccoli?" And her mom said, "Oh, she just whatever I'm feeding her in the moment." And someone asks her her favorite food, it's whatever she's eating in that moment is her favorite food.
1: That's interesting. That's such a good example.
0: Yeah, and I just thought that was like such a good example of being in the moment. Like right now, I'm enjoying this, and this is you ask me what favorite food this is, I like this right here, right now. They're just very grounded in the moment and immersed in what's going on right now.
1: That sounds like a very good way for like being content. Like I could see it leading like some of those features of being in the moment, being content could lead to just being kind of a happy, chill person.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I definitely see that with a lot of people this type that they can just kind of chill out with what is, you know, especially when it's used in a, a more healthy way. OK. And we just talked about a bonus of having a child of this type. But one thing that can be a little tough when you have a child who uses responsive sensing is that they tend to be heavy on the limit pushing and risk taking because it's all about what's in the, what's happening in the moment. And because they're drawn toward excitement, these kids are more likely than others to make risky decisions or break rules because they're not thinking through the future consequences. It's like a friend might suggest, let's go do this right now. And it's like, that sounds fun. Let's do this right now. And they, this their stretch is looking to future consequences. And that is not always present in kids. It's definitely a learned skill, a difficult stretch. And so I think that this can be a really tough place for parents, especially as the kids get older and into teenagehood and are driving and you can't keep an eye on them all the time and you don't know what choices they're going to make when they're out in the world. It can be a little scary. And then one more thing that you might notice in your child with this Function is that they are, they tend to be very hands on learners and they want to like jump in and be action oriented. So they might be bored by traditional sit and listen school settings like we tend to have. They really want to jump in and get their hands dirty and learn through experience. So that's a lot of times we talk about types that are not necessarily built the same way that our systems and our society is built. And this is one of those types, even though it is a really common function. And there are a lot of people of this type out there. It's not a type that is generally taken into account when the when the schools are built and the systems and the learning models.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I know we've talked about this a lot, you know, like Riker's school is so great for him that he gets to have a more hands-on approach, but that's not available um, everywhere in every school district where they can kind of pick what what model works best for them.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, this is a type that needs to be moving a lot. And, you know, I think schools are getting a lot better at this, mm-hmm. you know, but like having those, you know, they have those special seats where the kids can kind of be fidgeting and moving around on them and stuff. And like those are really good for kids of this type uh, being able to stand, you know. Interact while they're learning rather than just like the sitting still. It can be really tough. So, then let's talk about what your child needs if they use responsive sensing. First is to provide a physical outlet, right? So, when they're young, you need to take them to playgrounds outside, let them engage in plenty of physical play. When they're older, it's a really good idea to make sure they have some sort of physical outlet, whether it's organized sports, dance, um, or just time playing outdoors with friends on their bike. You know, I you know, I think when I think of kids who are sitting in, in their desks all day during high school, you know, maybe they get to move from one classroom to another. But most of the time they're just sitting in their desks learning like they need to have something where they're active and they can use this function where they can be hands on. And so if you can get that at extracurriculars, I think that's really helpful. And it can also help like the more of the more that they're getting healthy versions of this function and getting to interact with this function in a healthy way, the less they'll seek it out in an unhealthy way. You, you would hope that would be the idea, right? So Right. Yeah. Yeah. If they get to be really into, say, athletics is what they choose. And so they're using this function a lot, like every day then they might be less likely to make some of the risky decisions when they're out with their friends because they have satisfied this part of themselves. Whereas they feel like kind of stifled and bored all day long and they need that excitement, maybe they're going to be more likely to make the the more difficult, the more dangerous decisions.
1: Got it. And I was thinking about like in younger kids, if they can you know, get to the park and play, maybe they'll be less prone to like jump off the table.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's a good, a good example. And then they need sensory experiences. So hands-on toys and play for younger kids older kids, art, cooking, sports, something like that. And then when it comes to setting boundaries, this is a type that that comes up a lot because of the tendency to push boundaries, the tendency to not hold rules in their head as well, that I really recommend to parents who have kids of this type to set minimal boundaries. So like really look at what are all the boundaries and rules you want to have and like break it down to just the most important ones because it's so hard for them to keep rules in their head and because they feel so stifled by lots of rules and structure that they're more likely to follow them if there's fewer and if the fewer ones are more clearly enforced and and prioritized. With younger kids, understanding that like mess and destruction is kind of part of the territory and instead of too many rules, kind of childproof really well. And then as they grow, as they grow, make sure that the rules you have are very clearly communicated along with the logis- the logical consequences of breaking the rules and this will sort of help them start stretching to thinking through future consequences if all your consequences are logical like i'm trying to think of the logical consequences versus one that doesn't is not connected like um if you stayed up too late talking to your friends then you're grounded for a week versus if you stayed up too late talking to your friends, then the phone isn't allowed in your room anymore, right? Like that would be a logical consequence because the, the phone is what's causing the issue. And then when you are correcting, use action rather than words. And by this please, I do not mean like... um Corporal punishment or spanking. Not down with that. Yeah, not down with that on this podcast. But what I mean is don't spend too long over explaining or lecturing. Using your words and long explanations, it's just not going to be effective with this type. They don't want to sit and listen. And it's probably in one ear and out the other. Remember that this function focuses on immediate, tangible results. So, action will speak a lot louder than words. Like, for example, if the consequence is you get no more screen time, immediately you pick up the tablet or the phone or whatever and move it somewhere so they can see that happen immediately right after the rule has been broken. Because the the immediate consequence is what they're going to pick up on more.
1: Got it. So, like these kids would probably really benefit from you know like positive redirection. I
0: would. Assume when they're younger,
1: like this isn't a good activity. We're gonna go do this, and this is a good activity.
0: Physically move them to the other activity.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. That'd be great. And yeah, remove the the thing that's the temptation, and then physically redirect them to another to something. You know, gently, obviously, gently. Yes, in an appropriate way. Incentives can be good for this type a little bit, except that again, holding future consequences in their head is a stretch so it can't be like oh if you work very slowly towards this goal then you will get this incentive but more like immediate things like you did this thing now you get a a treat you know you did this thing now we make a reservation at your favorite dinner place for dinner or whatever and then uh, as far as you know I, i think a lot there has been some families with teenagers of this type that I've worked with, as well as you know, I know with my stepdaughter, a concern with older kids is the really dangerous decisions that they can make as teenagers. And something that one of the one of my favorite books, Nurture by Nature by the Tegers recommends is that seeing and experiencing is believing for this type, right? So For example, if you're worried about your teenager making bad choices in the car with their driving, driving too fast or doing something. Like I can remember when I was a teenager, I was dating this guy who was not great with choices, but I was driving with him and his friends and we're driving down, um, you know, I don't know, like a 50 mile an hour street. And all of a sudden, one of the kids from the backseat put their hands over the driver's eyes and the the kid in the passenger seat took over the wheel. And they're driving Sweet. down this fifty mile an hour, okay. hour road. Okay. Sounds great. Doing that. mm-hmm. that's something that happens in the teenage years. So helping them not make choices like that, if you show your teenager the after effects of a car accident to teach them the need for safe driving, that's going to hit them more than talking about it. So like actually seeing. Like pull up a YouTube video. Yeah. Got or it. if there's like a simulation of something you can take them to, I really haven't thought through All the ways that this could be, but like seeing and experiencing is believing for them. And then lastly, a really good idea with this type is to let things be fun. Let work be fun. Let chores be fun. Can When they're younger, can you make chores a game? Like, is there some game you can play while you're picking up toys? Um, Can you put on music and dance while you do the dishes together? allow your child to work with a friend while they're studying if they can demonstrate that they can still get their work done. It's just understanding that this type works better when fun is mixed in. A lot of us, especially with judging preferences or who have just grown up in a world that prefers judging, can can have this take on the world that you get your work done and then you play later if there's still time. Mm-hmm. And it's like nose to the grindstone and it's all about work and you get to have fun only when the work is done. But this type really works better if they mix in the fun with the play or sorry, if they mix in the, the play with the work. It's, so I was listening to, I'm like, I
1: think I, I've got to stop talking about this
0: podcast on our podcast,
1: but the how I built that this morning on my walk. Mm-hmm. And um, our girl Brene was on there and she was saying that businesses have changed, you know, from that Jack Welch, like Welchian way of just nose to the grindstone, just really Mm -hmm. not really pro-worker. I don't mean that like any typical pro-worker, but, you know, like the the nourishing the worker. And she said that has changed so much, not because people care so much about like, oh, I care that you, you know, because the bottom line is productivity. And when you change these work environments, like you said, make work fun, you actually have more long-term productivity.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we live in a capitalistic society, at least here in the States. And so it's all about the bottom line. And if people are actually working better and contributing to the bottom line more then that's what's that's what they try and set up. And so, yeah, I think that it really is a a sign that if companies are going more in that direction, it means they're retaining employees, they have happier employees, and then they have more productive employees, and then they have a a better bottom line. Yeah. So just remembering that it's okay to take a little longer doing what they're doing as if they're if they're having a little fun along the way. So to sum it up, responsive sensing users take in information by attuning to the present moment, taking in information with their five senses in order to respond with immediate practical action. Kids who use responsive sensing are fun-loving, flexible risk-takers. They need a lot of sensory experiences, swift, tangible consequences, and they need you to allow work to be fun. So next week, as I said... Uh, my stepdaughter, my 15 year old stepdaughter with ESTP preferences, is did an interview with me. I haven't listened back to it or edited it yet, and we recorded this like two months ago. So I'm kind of excited to go back and and listen to that. And that was a lot of fun. And she kind of talked about her experiences as a child who uses responsive sensing. And she has a lot of type pride. A lot of <laughs> we call type pride it. when like your, your type is the best. Um, can we make T-shirts that say type pride? <laughs> we can make any T-shirts you want. I actually I started a threadless store like a while back and then I never put anything in it. But maybe eventually really? we can we can have some merch for people to go buy. <laughs> that would be fun. Uh, after this, we'll go into the other type of sensing. So that'll be for our SJs. Anyone with um, an S and a J, ESFJs, ESTJs, ISFJs, ISTJs, which is the majority of people actually. So wow. that'll be fun, and maybe we'll get to talk to Junie, and she would love that. Everyone in your immediate family besides you is an SJ. Yeah. So this those, that'll be big, a big topic for you.
1: She said she wanted to be, after she listened to um, Riker, she's like, when do I get to be interviewed? <laughs> yeah, that'll be fun. Yeah, I'll, I'll look forward to it. I wonder if I, if I should just let you do it. See, so she'll give you different answers.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That'll be fun. I'll have to, I'll have to set up what we're going to ask her and talk to her about. All right. So you can always visit the show notes. If this was all a lot of information and you want to see it written out in bullet points, familypersonalities.com slash the episode number. And you can also find the link in the show description on whatever podcast app you're using. Let me help you parent more easily and peacefully through the use of personality type by visiting familypersonalities.com slash services. You can donate to the podcast if you like what you're hearing and you want to contribute and help me run this business. It's familypersonalities.com slash donate. Don't forget to share us with people. If you know someone that you think is this type or you know someone who you think has a kid of this type, send this show to them. They might be interested in listening, and that's the best way for us to grow. You can email us at familypersonalitiespod at gmail.com. Follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Family Personalities, and you can find M at Emerson, the number four, O-R. See you next week. That's it for our show this week. We would like to apologize to our children, our parents, our spouses, and anyone else we may have lovingly thrown under the bus this episode. Thank you for listening and catch us next time on the Family Personalities Podcast.